This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Bravo. And so here's the title of our series, and this is part two, Judgment, the Believer, and Grace. And this is part two. And part two, we've subtitled, Completely Forgiven of All our sin. Amen. And of course, most of you who have been with us for a while understand that that is gospel truth. We have been forgiven of all our sin, past, present, future. Because when Jesus died for our personal sin, it was some 2,000 years ago, more. We are in 2023. None of us were alive then. All of our sin would have been in the perfect, in the future tense at least, not the perfect, the future tense. And so, you know, he died for all of our sin. He took care of the sin issue for all of us outside of time for time. Amen. And so we want to make sure that we understand. Now, the reason why we're going to look at that and talk about that is because in order for me to explain the reservations that people have, the understandings that people have, the variety of interpretations people have about, you know, confession of sin and the believer is going to be judged and face a final judgment and, you know, works. They're going to be judged by their works. They're going to be put through the fire. There's so many other things that are involved that come into play, supposedly, as far as, 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 far as part of judgment for the believer. And then, of course, we wonder, well, what about the grace of God? If we are saved by grace, if we are maintained by grace, then why are we still going to face a judgment? If Jesus died for our sin, what is God going to judge us for? And so we're going to look at all of that. We're going to dig into every bit of it. We're going to clarify it. So I assure you, this is probably, even though for some of you this may be familiar, I believe that there's always going to be something there. But you know, like I say to you, as a pastor, my heart is not to impart knowledge, not to see, not to show how smart I am, not that I think I am, but not to show how much I know. Because, you know, we can know a lot of stuff about God, but not really know God. And my heart is for us to, whatever we receive, whatever is taught, is for us to, to take us to a place where we can know God more where we can know Him more. Amen. And so that's why we're looking at all of this, because when we understand how judgment relates to the believer, then we will have greater confidence. We will, it will open the pathway for us to know God more. Amen. And so that's why we're looking at that. So <clears throat> let's begin by looking at our flagship scripture for the series. And it's John chapter 12, verse 47 and 48. And it says that this is now uh, Jesus speaking here. He says, And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day. Now look at that real carefully. He says, what I say, what I have said, and we have all that he said recorded in Scripture. So all that he said, his words, he says, if anyone hears them 
and believes them, then that person will experience all that he said, not just that, but he says, as a person, he says, I'm not going to judge them personally. I'm not going to judge them outside of what I've said. He says, those who choose not to believe, those who choose to reject me, they are going to be judged by what I have said, the words that I have said. Remember that? And so we've seen from that, that those who reject salvation in Jesus will be judged by what Jesus said about salvation, about God, about himself, about redemption. And we looked at all of that last week. Now, in the same way, or equally, or you could say conversely, the believer has been, is, and will always be judged by what Jesus said as well. The unbeliever, those who reject salvation in Jesus, will be judged by what Jesus said. In other words, on that great day, sadly, they're going to be reminded of John 3.16, for example, where it says, you know, for God so loved you that He gave, and whoever will receive Him will be saved. But you didn't. And so those words judge you. And so it would go on about Him, about redemption. But in the same way, we know that what Jesus said is also, or should I say, oh yeah, is also what judges the believer, what has judged the believer, because we've already been judged, and what will continue to judge the believer. You and I walk by faith. You and I are believers because we've chosen to believe what Jesus said. We've chosen to believe God and His Word, exactly what Jesus said, His Word, the words that He said. And because we believe His Word, because we believe what He said, we are judged by those very words. We are judged as righteous. We are judged as holy. We are judged as redeemed. We are judged as beloved. We are judged as accepted. We are judged as the children of God, as those who have received salvation in Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's exactly what we looked at last week. And so that's what it is. And so when you think about it, we've seen that the word, what Jesus said is that we are loved by God. John 3.16, remember that. Then he also said that God sent him, that's Jesus, to be the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. We saw that in Matthew 20.28. 20, and then also we've seen that we are forgiven or we have been forgiven of all sin. Colossians 2.13 is what we looked at. And then in Jesus, we saw that God himself makes us righteous or made us righteous, holy and accepted in the beloved. And we saw that in 1 Corinthians 1.30 and Ephesians 1.6, right? And so we understand that. So we understand. So last week I explained the concept basically that it's what Jesus said that will judge the unbeliever. And it's also what Jesus said that judges, has judged and will judge the believer as well. Because we live by his words. We believe what he said. We live by what he said. And therefore it becomes a reality to us. That's called faith. That's called walking in faith, living by faith. So now... <clears throat> Before we look at the traditional concerns about the believer in judgment, we need to be absolutely clear about gospel truth. Gospel truth that the believer is completely and totally forgiven of all sin. Not some sin, all sin. Past, present, 
future. Now, if this is new to you and maybe this is rubbing you the wrong way because you've been taught differently, how about just having an open mind, an open heart, listen to the whole thing and determine for yourself at the end of today if you're going to choose to believe that. Because I'm going to prove it to you and show you that we have been forgiven of all sin. Because if we were not forgiven of all of our sin, then what was the point of Jesus dying on the cross? What was the point of sending Him to redeem us if we are still responsible for some sin? Some say that we are responsible for our future sin. Some say that we are responsible for sin beyond receiving salvation. If that's the case, what was the point of Jesus? So Jesus only saved us up to present sin. And then beyond that, what do we do? We save ourselves. We save ourselves through confession. We save ourselves through works, through performance, through merit. I mean, that just doesn't make sense, does it? And so that's what we want to clear up. So let's begin by looking at Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. <clears throat> it says, Wherefore, as by one man's sin, that's talking about Adam, one man's sin <coughs> entered into the world, and death by sin, death meaning separation from God. And so death passed upon all men. And you know that means all people, right? And so for that, all have sinned. So look at that real carefully. I want you to take notice of the two words that I've emboldened and made a different color there. You see that it says that as by one man, sin entered into the world. Notice sin. And then at the end it says, for that all have sinned. Now, those two words are important to understand and to understand why they are there put differently. Because they explain to us our condition. They explain to us the dynamic of sin in our lives, how we relate to it, and how we need to understand it. And so what we are going to do is <laughs> we're going to look at the original, an original source to help us understand what those words, not just what they mean, but more specifically what they are, what uh, part of speech they are, because that's the key in that portion. Let's go back to that verse, and I want to show you again. Notice, Where are, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. <clears throat> now, what does that mean? And then it says, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all. So because of what Adam did by sinning, not only by disobeying God, what happened is, is that sin, let's go keep it there on the screen, sin entered the world, it says. And then, secondly, it says, because of that, because he disobeyed, then also as sin not only entered the whole world, so it affected and permeated all of existence as we know it in the world, what it also says is, is that it was passed on to everyone beyond him. In other words, when Adam sinned, he became a fallen being. And therefore, all his descendants would be fallen descendants. And that's why he passed that sin onto all of us. So people don't become sinners when they commit their first known sin. They are born sinners. The psalmist verifies that. We've seen it. We've discussed it in previous messages. But here's the other key thing. It says, for that all have sinned. In other words, everyone is guilty because everyone is a descendant of a fallen being. Okay, so that's what that's saying to us. Now, <clears throat> we're going to look at those two words 
sin and sinned from the original language. And what I want to highlight to you today is please take note of the part of speech that each word is. So here's the first one. So, so notice, this is the source that I'm using here is the Strong's Talking Greek and Hebrew Dictionary. This is a specific Strong's Version Dictionary that helps you pronounce the words from the original, but also they tell you what part of speech they are so you can understand it when you use it in spoken language. That's why it's called the Strong's Talking Greek and Hebrew Dictionary. So, the word is sin. So remember it says, by one man, sin into the world. And there's the number, if you want to look up the original uh, Greek number and how it's pronounced in the Greek. I'm not even going to try. But here's the transliteration. In other words, this is how we would say it in our equivalent English language. Hamartia. And then it tells us the phonetic pronunciation. So in other words, this is how you should pronounce it if you are an English speaker. And there it is. Ha-mar-ti-ham-artia. That's how you pronounce it. Now here's the key. What part of speech is it? It's a noun, and specifically it's used in the female context, but let's pay attention to what it is. It is a noun. So, where it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, it's not talking about actions, it's not talking about deeds, it's not talking about conduct, it's not talking about behavior, that's sinful behavior, sinful contact. It's not talking about that. What it's talking about is the condition or the state of sin. It's, it's a noun describes a condition, a state. And so what it says there when it says that, this is that through Adam's sin, through his fall, through his disobedience, by eating from that forbidden fruit, what happened this is that the state of sin or a sinful condition entered the world. That's why things decay. That's why things die. That's why we eventually die. We decay and so forth. That is all the result of the condition of sin. So the condition changed. In other words, you know, one of the examples that I can give you is, is that let's just say that on a sunny day, you're walking outside and the sun is shining, the sky is blue, everything is great, the weather is perfect. All of a sudden, it gets cloudy and it begins to pour rain and it just pours and pours so much so that you need to you need an umbrella you need to cover you, <laughs> cover yourself because you get all wet so what has happened the atmosphere has changed everything around you has changed you've entered a different atmosphere you now find yourself in a different state in a different condition just prior to that you were enjoying sun you were enjoying just the wonderful rays you were enjoying just the wonderful weather and now you are getting wet and you can hardly see it's pouring so much and it's different you're getting cold so it's changed the atmosphere and that's what this is saying when adam messed up for the lack of a better word then the conditions changed the conditions in the world as god created it changed because the state of sin came in and changed it and will continue to do that until it's all said and done and we have a new heaven and earth and sin is taken out of the picture right and then secondly i want to show you that word sin remember it said and so death passed upon all men for that all have 
sinned. Now that's a different word. It's a derivative of the same, but it's a different word that is used. Here it is on the screen now. Again, from the same resource, the Strong's Talking Greek and Hebrew Dictionary. And here is the transliteration. You can see it there. And the phonetic pronunciation is hamartan-o. Something like that. That's how you pronounce it. But now look carefully at the part of speech that it is. It's talking about a verb. So what we see in essence is, is that when Adam, through his fall, through his disobedience, what happened was is that the state, the condition of sin, entered the world and changed the dynamic completely. And we're still living in that. But then also it says, because now he is fallen, all his descendants will be fallen. Because he cannot produce an imperfect being who was perfect, but now he's imperfect. And an imperfect being cannot now produce or reproduce perfect beings. He's going to reproduce after his kind, which is other fallen descendants. And because of that, this state of sin will permeate them, will affect them, and they will also live in it and face the consequences of it, it says. And because of that, they also all then are going to sin. They are going to commit deeds. Their conduct, their behavior is going to be sinful, which is why we need redemption in Jesus. But what I want to show you here in that portion that we've just seen, we've seen sin as a noun, we've seen sinned as a verb. And you can see it's two different words. And that's the reason for that. Oftentimes, many translations get that wrong and translate it as the same and take away the, the meaning, <clears throat> the intended meaning that God had there for us. And so, to summarize real quick, to explain what I'm about to explain, in fallen Adam, all have a sin and a sins problem. That's what I want to show you there. Do you see that? Does that make sense? So, in fallen Adam, all of us, all descendants of Adam, including Adam, have two issues that they're going to face in relation to sin. We have a sin problem, or you could say we have a condition problem, and then also we have a sins problem. In other words, a conduct problem. So not only are we in a sinful state, but also because we're in that sinful state, we sin. We have a propensity to sin. There is no such thing as someone who doesn't sin. Because that means that we would not be descendants of fallen Adam. And that's not the case. And so we see that, that all of us, every single person who has existed, who is existing now, and who will exist in the future, all of them will have the same issue. A sin prob <laughs> problem, a condition problem, and a sins problem, a conduct, a behavior problem, as far as sin goes. Amen. Not amen to that, but amen to truth, because we're about to see it. And so, <clears throat> without Jesus, we would all then face judgment for being not only sinful, but also for sinning. That's the other thing that this shows us. So take Jesus and redemption in Jesus out of the picture, and all of humanity would then have to face judgment from God and before God for two things. For being sinful, which is the condition, but also for sinning, which is the result of the condition. And we would have to be judged for that. Does that make sense? 
And so that's what we see there. So in fallen Adam, we all became inherently sinful and that's why we sin. And so those are the two issues that we have, the condition and what the condition causes us to do. And that's why judgment is there. And so, in the same way, and I'm running a little bit ahead of myself here, but I want to say it so that when we get there, you'll already have an understanding of it. In the same way, all who receive salvation in Jesus become inherently righteous and holy. Remember we touched on that last week? Just as inherently we became sinful in Adam, inherently in Jesus we become righteous and holy. We're not just restored to the way Adam was in our spirit, but we're also given all that Jesus is. It's pretty powerful, and we'll see that in a moment. All right, so now let's go and have a look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, the second part of that verse, just for time's sake, and to keep it focused on what we are talking about here today. So Hebrews 9, 26, the second part, is talking about Jesus and the new covenant. Now, Watch what it says. <laughs> but now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared, talking about Jesus, watch what it says next, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So what this in essence is saying to us is that Jesus eventually came some 2,000 years ago, came into the world as a human, and what did he come to do? Notice it says there, he came to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now that word sin that you see there is the noun. Because here's the thing. If you deal with the condition, the state of sin, then you also deal with the result of the state of sin. So if you deal with the condition of sin, then you deal with sinning. Because if they're no longer in that condition, they're not going to sin, right? It would be the same as, you know, the clouds clearing and the rain going away. You deal with the clouds, you, deal, you clear all that up, then the rain and the wet also goes away. <clears throat> and so, what that says right there, that part of Jesus' mission, part of the purpose why He came to redeem us, was so that He could put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. So He came to deal with a condition that we were in because of Adam, and as a result of that, he also then dealt with the, um, what did I say, the uh, conduct, the behavior, the result of that condition. Praise God for that. Amen. So, <clears throat> let me show you that word. Let's go back to that verse again. Remember it says that he appeared to put away. That is actually um, one word in the original Greek. And that word is actually pretty powerful. So, look at that real carefully. It says, He appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. In other words, what this is telling us is that by Jesus giving His life for you and me, He actually sacrificed Himself. And when He did that, it says that He put away the aspect of sin. Now, let me show you that word, the original Greek word, in the original language. And, and I'm going to show it to you from the helps word studies and show you what that word actually means. It's so powerful. It's pretty awesome. Here it is here. Put away is the word. There's the number. And it's actually one word. Athetesis or something like that. 
And here's what it means from the original. So here's how it can also be translated and could be translated and should be translated as. It means annulment, in other words, cancellation. That is what is rendered no longer in effect, literally no longer having a place. So <laughs> if you were to take those meanings and place them in the place of put away, you could say it this way. He appeared to annul sin by the sacrifice of himself. Or you could say he appeared to cancel sin by the sacrifice of himself. Or you could say he appeared to render no longer in effect sin by the sacrifice of himself. Or you could say he appeared to no longer give sin a place in their lives by the sacrifice of himself. So undoubtedly, you can see from that, that Jesus didn't deal with a partial aspect of it. He dealt with all of it. He dealt with it completely once and for all. So what he did is he removed or he made available the possibility, not just the possibility, the reality to, for us at least, not to, not to remain in that state any longer. Now, yes, this body may be, and we still live in this body, but we are a spirit being first and foremost because we shed this body and this body returns to dust, right? But our spirit lives on forever and that's who we are. And so in spirit, he gave us the opportunity by his sacrifice to be taken out of that sinful state and be put in the original state and more that we had in Adam and we have and can have in Jesus. Amen. So, <laughs> sin here refers to the sinful state, which includes sinful deeds. By dealing with the state, he also dealt with the result of the state. So, Jesus annulled the sin issue in our lives. I've just shown you that. He annulled it. When people annul a contract, when people annul an, a legal agreement, it's gone. It's done. It's like it never existed. It's like it, you can't even bring it into the picture. It doesn't apply. Jesus annulled, canceled, removed, rendered it of no longer of effect. And that's what he did with the sin issue. So he annulled it. He canceled it. He rendered it of no effect and of no place in our lives. So yes, we live in this fallen body, but sin itself has no place in our lives because Jesus dealt with it. Now, someone may say, well, hold on, I still make mistakes. I still sin. I still do things. Yeah, we all do. But the point is, this is that, that I'm trying to make. This is why we walk by faith and not by sight. This is why this is about faith. This is for the believer. Because that is the power of the finished work of the cross. And so this is why those who receive salvation in Jesus are forgiven for all their sin, past, present, and future. Because Jesus dealt with the whole aspect, the whole condition of sin. Some people think that they are still sinful. Some people think that they still have a sinful nature and they are identified by God with that sinful nature. But as you're about to see, the fact of the matter is, is that you don't have a dual nature. You don't have a redeemed nature and a fallen nature. You live in a fallen body, 
but you don't have a fallen nature. Jesus removed it. He annulled it. He canceled it. It was done away with. The whole condition, the whole state, not just the sins and the deeds and what the state causes you to do. He actually dealt with the whole situation. It would be like you in a split second being taken out of one situation and put in another. That's what he did, right? And so we are forgiven. So therefore, the judgment for our sin and sins happened at the cross. That's why you often hear me say, your judgment as a believer has already taken place for sin. At the cross, God judged Jesus on your behalf because He was there as you. He, he didn't just die for you. He also died as you. And as you, <laughs> He died to the sinful state and He died to the sinful deeds. He died to sin and He also therefore died to sins. That's why the judgment took place. And I love the way the Passion Translation puts Romans 4, verse 25. Watch this. Jesus was handed over to be crucified for the forgiveness of our sins and was raised back to life, watch this, to prove that He had made us right with God. In essence, what this is telling us is, is that He dealt with us an issue and He rose to prove to us that it's over and done with. Amen. So not only did we need forgiveness of sins, but we also needed deliverance from sin. The noun causes the verb, right? The state, the condition of sin, and the result of that condition, which is sins. So when you think about redemption, forgiveness, when you think about being saved. There are two aspects. Those two aspects is what Jesus dealt with. It's what He canceled, what He sacrificed Himself for. We needed the forgiveness of sins, the things that the state causes us to do. But we also needed deliverance from the state of sin. So He needed to forgive us for what all the sinful things we've done. But then he also, so that we wouldn't continue and it wouldn't continue counting against us and God wouldn't continue to have something to judge us for, this is what Jesus did. He forgave us for our sins, but also he delivered us from the state of sin so that it wouldn't be an ongoing issue. Does that make sense? That's what Jesus did. So remember, we didn't just need forgiveness for sins, we also needed deliverance from the state of of sin. And that's what Jesus did. That's why He died as us and He also died for us. He died as us, in other words, in the state of sin, to deliver us from the state of sin, but He also died for us so that we can be forgiven for our sins, the things that the state caused us to do. And by taking care of it that way, He took care of it all. That's why it was annulled, it was cancelled. It's, it's as if it's no longer in effect in our lives. Because he dealt with the condition and he dealt with the conduct. Does that make sense? That's what he did. <clears throat> Let's have a look at some scripture here to verify all that. Romans 6 verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man, who's he talking about? Who we were in fallen Adam. That, that old man who was in a sinful state and therefore sinned. He says, knowing this, 
that our old man is crucified with him. Notice, and I love the way the King James accurately translates everything from, directly from the Greek. It says from the original, <laughs> it says that our old man is crucified with him. So it remains crucified and it has been crucified and would always be that way. He says that who we were in fallen Adam, in that state, in that condition, that sinful state and condition, was crucified. Watch this, it, it explains it. That the body of sin, some people think it's talking about our physical body. No, it's not talking about that. It says that the body of sin, in other words, the sinful nature, or you could say the sinful state, the sinful condition, might be destroyed. Look at that. We know that our body hasn't been destroyed, so it's not talking about our physical body. So you know it's talking about the body of sin. You know, sometimes we talk about the body of believers. We talk about the corporate body of the neighborhood, whatever it may be. The, homeowner, the body of the homeowners association. The student body at a school. You know that that's not talking about the actual physical bodies. It's talking about the aspect, the, the entity. And so that's what this is saying. That the body of sin, the entity of that sinful nature, might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. This is why we have victory over sin and we can say no to sin and we can walk away from temptation because we've been empowered by what Jesus has done for us. But what I want to highlight to you and point out to you here is, is that who we were in fallen Adam has been and is crucified so that that sinful state can be destroyed and render powerless. Amen. <clears throat> Powerful stuff. Let's look at the next one. Galatians 2.20, the first part of that verse. He says, I am, notice present ongoing, present perpetual tense. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. Watch this. This is so powerful. I'm going to say some powerful things about this in a moment. But, I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live, watch this, by the faith of of the Son of God. Not by His own faith, but by the faith of Jesus. Why? Because it took Jesus' faith to believe that what He did would redeem us. And so we live by His faith, not our own. Who loved me and gave Himself for me, He says. So notice, once more He says that who He was in fallen Adam, in that sinful state, was crucified with Jesus. And he says, even though I still live in this natural, carnal body, he says, it's not really me who's alive anymore. It is Jesus who lives in me. And by faith in, in his, by me trusting in his faith and what he did, I believe that he loved me and gave himself for me. So he is now living in me and through me. Do you see that? So what Paul is saying is, who I was in fallen Adam, in that state, in that sinful state, has been crucified and is crucified. He says, now I'm alive to God in Jesus. And it's because Jesus lives in me and through me. That is so key to understand. I'm about to explain that in a moment. All right, so there's another one that shows us that. Then, how about Romans 6, verse 10 and 11? It says, for in that he died, talking about Jesus, he died unto sin, notice that's the noun, the state of sin, once. In other words, only once is necessary. It doesn't need to be repeated because it was effectual. It worked. It did what it needed to do. 
So he died unto sin once, but in that, watch this again, <coughs> he liveth, he liveth unto God. So in other words, Jesus died to the sinful state, and now he lives not in that sinful state, and therefore, it says, watch this in verse 11, likewise, you know, <coughs> in other words, in the same way, reckon ye also yourselves, to be dead indeed unto sin, that's the state of sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So, what this tells us here, what this shows us, is, is that Jesus died to the sinful state. He sacrificed himself so he could get rid of and deal with the sinful state on our behalf. And then he rose again, not in a sinful state, and alive to God, holy pure and righteous. And then Paul says, in the same way, in the exact same way, you need to account yourself. You need to consider yourself to be dead to the sinful state. Not sins, but sin. You saw it. It's talking about the, the sinful state, not the conduct, the behavior, the deeds. You, in the same way, you need to consider, you need to see yourself as dead to the sinful state. And alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you need to see yourself dead to the sinful state in Adam, but also you need to see yourself alive to the non-sinful state in Jesus. To the, yeah, that's the best way you can explain it, I guess. You need to see yourself that way. So you need to have two perspectives when it comes to your relation, if you will, to sin or how sin relates to you. You died to it in Jesus, in and through Jesus, to the whole state of sin. And now you're alive unto God in the state that Jesus is in, which is holy and righteous, pure. Amen. So you need to have those two perspectives as far as your condition goes, as far as your state goes. Do you see that? That's what this is saying. So let me make some comments about what we've just seen there in, the, in those last two portions. Please listen to this carefully. As our substitute on the cross... Because that's exactly what Jesus was. As our substitute on the cross, Jesus secured our forgiveness. Yes? Of course He did. As our substitute within us, Jesus secures our deliverance. Does that make sense? That's why you don't just die to sin in Jesus, because that secures your forgiveness. But it also emphasizes that you are now alive unto God. Why? Because by Him dying, we were forgiven. And now by Him living in us, He secures our deliverance from sin. Otherwise, we would still be living in the state of sin. This is why it is He who lives in us and He lives through us. Gives us that new birth and it is Him in us. Because that was necessary so that He would be alive in us. He would live in us and as us, and for us, because that guarantees that we were delivered from the state of sin. Remember I said to you, we needed deliverance, and we needed forgiveness. By Him dying, we got forgiveness. By Him living in us, we've got the guarantee of deliverance, that we were delivered from the state of sin. Otherwise, we wouldn't have that guarantee. I trust that that's making sense. Let me put it another way, just to help us understand it clearer. Jesus 
died in our place for our forgiveness. And He lives in our place for our deliverance. Does that make sense? He lives in our place to let us know that we were delivered from the state of sin. And He died in our place to let us know that we were forgiven for what the sinful state caused us to do. So, Him living in us deals with deliverance from the state of sin. Him dying for us deals with the forgiveness of sins. Does that make sense? I trust that it does because it is powerful, powerful truth. Which is why Paul said in that portion we've, <laughs> we've just read, See yourself the way you see Jesus, dead to sin and alive to God. Isn't that how you see Jesus as your Savior? He's dead to sin. He died to it. And He's alive to God without sin. And He says, see yourself the same way. Because He died for you and He lives in you, which means that you died to sin. And because He lives in you, you're alive to God, meaning that you've been delivered from the state of sin. Amen. This is powerful stuff. And this is why we need to understand that we were completely forgiven. The sin issue has been completely dealt with. But because we live in this carnal fallen body, people have a tendency to reconnect what it does and the sins and the mistakes and the mess-ups and connect it back to the wrong identity that they no longer have and think that, see, God is going to judge me. Now, I'm not saying we should sin. I mean, if, if what Jesus has done for us, what God has done for us in and through Jesus, if you think that motivates you to continue and do that, I don't think we really understand the gospel if that's the case. If someone rescues me from drowning or rescues me from having a terrible death, I'm not going to pay them back by trying to drown again and trying to have the accident again. No, absolutely not. Amen. And so this is why God sees the believer the way he sees Jesus. You hear what I said? This is why God sees the believer the way He sees Jesus. 1 John 4, 17. Watch us. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness, look at this, in the day of judgment. Because as He, that's Jesus, is, so are we in this world. How does God see you? The way He sees Jesus. This is why when the day of judgment comes along, it's not saying or implying that you are going to be judged. What it's saying is there is going to be a day of judgment and you know that the unbeliever is going to face that. It says, but when that day comes along, he says, the believer will have confidence, will have boldness. Why? Because they see themselves the way God sees them. How does God see them? The way He sees Jesus. Pure, holy, righteous, perfect. So let me ask you this question based on everything I've said. Does God see you as a sinful being? No, He doesn't. Does God count your sins against you? No, He doesn't because He judged them on the cross. Amen. You see, that's gospel truth. When we understand and are solidified in that, everything else will make sense. And you'll see, we, next time we're going to get into all those specific things that people, you know, you've got to confess your sin and God's going to judge you for your works and there is a final judgment for the believer. Well, clearly it's not about sin if that's the case, but we're going to clear all those things up because, but we need to have this base settled in our hearts. Otherwise, we'll doubt and read the wrong things and misinterpret like 
so many people have through the ages as far as judgments and really devaluing the finished work of the cross. Because if Jesus had not dealt with the whole entire sin condition and sin's issue, then what was the point of redemption in Jesus, right? Praise God. I mean, it's awesome what he did for us. So, let me say some things as we come to a closing. Sins, now remember, the difference between sin and sins. Condition, conduct, behavior. Sins is the result of the condition. But there's a difference between the noun and the verb, right? Sins affect our conscience, right? It bothers us. That's why we shouldn't do it. And sin has a wage. Why do we want to work for something that's going to pay us what we don't want to earn? Sins affect our conscience. And I think God designed it that way so we can not just give in to anything and everything, so we can trust Christ in us to live through us. Amen. But sins affect our conscience, whereas sin affects our life. The state affects our life. The things affect our conscience. And Jesus dealt with them both. And this is why we, He has freed us from them both. He freed us from the state of sin and He freed us from the, st the things the state causes us to do. We have been free, therefore we are forgiven. Amen. So, if you have been delivered from sin and are forgiven of all sins, then question, what is, does God have left to judge you for in terms of sin? Does He have anything to judge you for when it comes to sin and sins? No, He dealt with it all on the cross. Amen. So if we're going to face judgment, then surely it is not for the condition of sin and the sins. It is not for sin. So if it is for other things, at least we can have certainty that we'll be in heaven. And we're going to dig into all of those things to understand and explain them because there's also so much misunderstanding out there that you know has a tendency to make believers think somehow that and reconnect them to the condition and the conduct and the behavior. We're going to clear all that up. So the first aspect of the gospel truth that we need to understand and be well established in then is, is that a believer will never again be judged by God for sin or sins. Did you hear what I said? I know this probably makes the legalists go crazy and nuts and think, you know, scream out heresy. But I personally think they preach heresy because they mix law and grace. But the point is, is, is that you and I need to be well established in this fact, this gospel truth fact, that as believers, we will never again, and the reason why I say again, is because we were judged in and through Jesus on the cross. So we will never again be judged for sin or sins by God. That's His guarantee of the cross. Amen. That's why it's called the gospel, the good news. It is good news. Someone telling me that no, Jesus didn't deal with the whole sin condition and therefore the things that the condition gets you to do. That's not good news. That's doubtful news. That's almost good news, but not quite good news. And the gospel is good news. Amen. So all your judgment for sin took place on the cross in Jesus. And this is why 
you are and will always be completely and totally forgiven. Amen. I trust that what you've seen today has solidified that in your heart. Now, with confidence, we can go and look at those, all those other things and bring clarity to them and understand why do people say there's going to be a final judgment? Why do people say you're going to be judged for your works? Why do people say you need to confess your sin to finalize judgment for that sin? Otherwise, you're in trouble. We're going to clear all those things up as we go through this series. Amen. And so next time, we're going to look at passages of concern and misunderstanding. So don't miss we trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.